What's it going to take for you guys to be okay tonight and to stop this chaos? It ain't me. I, it's not me. I'm going to let y'all know that now. It's not us guys neither. And I'm glad that y'all said that. It's not us. It's the police. This the madness that they spark up. This is what they encourage. This is what they provoke. This is what you get out of you taking some, a loved one from someone. This is what you get. You get a lot of people that's hurt and they can't vent the right way. They can't no longer depend on the police to be here to protect us like they say they're going to do. So this is what you get. And no, it's not going to end today. I can't tell you it's going to end tomorrow. I don't know when it's going to end. But it's for y'all to start. We're not the ones that's killing us. Y'all killing us. We can't make a change if y'all don't change. This was completely not hard for me. I had to squeeze Breathe life into this issue, then unleash my anger and rage. My starved emotions that's been caged. My sadness and being broken hearted that started with the color of my face. Because it's hard sometimes loving yourself when living in a world that hates you and still tries to break you. And it's simply dismissive to say a person shouldn't exist on the basis of the color of their skin. And the sickest thing is that we've built a system to blame the victims. See, racism still lives within almost everything. Skilled with the task to keep me second class. So how could you not believe in the inheritance of pain? And it's clear the existence of this stain still lived through till this day. How could you still think this is not about race? Wishing to exist within the bliss of your own ignorance which is no different from embracing the true status, the truth of maybe being a racist. But no one's ever a racist until they're faced with it. Until they see those other faces in the same neighborhoods that they remain within. And it's amazing. If our lives never merge, how hard you would work to avert your eyes from my hurt. So let's pretend how about I enslave your ancestors, those distant family members, cage them in the bottom of my ship in dark, crammed spaces, and for the ones that have made it, break their souls, leaving no hopes, no goals to chase even if they escape my control, then change them, separate them from us, then call it segregation, then the generations later, kids, 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 which is you telling me to get over it. Can't dismiss my purpose to say this is the most hurtful shit any person could ever utter from their lips. This is one hell of a topic. To utilize the mind to destroy human lives for profit, to dehumanize without logic. Can you imagine? The consciousness of being a slave. To be brave when getting a beating from whips while locked in chains. Or the shame of seeing your loved ones dealing with the ordeal of being raped. But you can't do anything. You have to behave. So look closer. Can't you see the exposure of the pain that's left over from my colored contrast generations of the past that have suffered? Can't you see it? Our hurt that's transferable. 
See, we claim to be strong, but the weight of this pain has been pulling us down for way too long, drowning in the untamed ways of our emotions. Can't you feel it? Our hurt bursting out of our beings that live beneath our surface. So many we have in surplus that haven't ceased disturbing us. See, I'm squeezing to extract that you lacked of seeing. And we don't need to seek your acceptance to believe we're outstanding human beings. So being black, we're just unpacking these feelings. The photosynthesis of what we've been breathing in since this racism shit's beginning. Why can't you see the misery we've received and understand the stress of racism's effect? Because I'm still reliving the simple level of this pebble ripple effect. My name is Innocent Mugenga, and you're listening to The Learnability Podcast, an exploration of how society interacts with technology and you. Welcome to The Learnability Podcast, Karun. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is amazing. A few months ago, I saw you live at A House. I think you did like four or five pieces or maybe more. And I was totally blown away. I was standing there with my phone in my hand and like I had so many ideas. that I was really inspired and felt like I need to do something with him. So it's great having you on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that, I mean, that time was uh, was super, super um, amazing because, I mean, I was like, looking for, you know, a space to to showcase and uh, and introduce my poems to to different uh, people and to, into a different audience. And I think A House was like the perfect uh, um, place to do so. And I was super happy just to get that opportunity to do that. So thank you. That brings me to a question. Do you have any arenas or spaces like that for spoken word or, or any type of similar performances in Stockholm? You know, not so much. I mean, there is there are a few um, spaces that allow you to do some open mic performances, but I find it to be uh, very difficult to to do so because I, I feel like when you go to places like that, everyone really sometimes don't listen to what you're saying. Oh yeah, uh, and and fair enough because everyone really wants to showcase their their artwork as well. So there's no space for anyone to really appreciate and, and to, to have things sink in. Mm, it's like sort of when two people are talking and you're just waiting to say your thing. <laughs> you're not really listening. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, when I moved here in 2015, uh, I was looking for spaces heavily just to go and, and to perform, just to do some open mics, just to get myself familiar with the, with the scene. But I find that there wasn't any scene here. And uh, um, years later, I found that there was a small scene. It's just that you have to be invited to to the scene via, you know, Facebook invites. And once I got uh, someone to invite me, I, I mean, it was uh, it was over by then. <laughs> now I'm just creating my own space. I, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to to different venues and different um, friends of friends who have the the space to do so so i mean they've introduced me and invited me to uh to other people's in other places just to perform and and that's been great so far so 
Uh, sky's the limit from this point on. And how did you find that passion? How did you get into spoken word and this big challenge? It was, I mean, I, lo- I loved spoken word um, or just poetry in general. I remember yeah. when I was graduating middle school in the States, in New York, uh, there were a few classmates that that wrote uh, several poems, and they were in the the yearbook. And I was reading them, and I was like, "Man, that's amazing! I wish I could do something like that." Mm. And then years uh, later, uh, a friend of mine, we were going to the same church. She was doing open mics, and I said, "Can I come?" And I went. I mean, and that that was it. I mean, I was I was hooked the moment I went that that night. Oh, and it was, yeah. a, it was a club in Queens that's called the Cheyenne Roadhouse. The never, Cheyenne Roadhouse. Cheyenne Roadhouse. I never forget that place. Just small, you know. It smells like smoke, alcohol. <laughs> I mean, and it was just it was just amazing. Just the art form of everyone in the building and the way they were delivering their words, the word that they written everything. I was just blown away. I was just mesmerized. How long time did it take from that moment till you actually stepping on the stage? The next, the next weekend. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell you, the moment I saw someone performing and writing, I was completely hooked. So you grew up in in Brooklyn, as you mentioned. Let's just start with how and why you came to Stockholm, and then we can go to maybe some experiences from Brooklyn and how it was growing up there. Yeah, I mean. I came to Stockholm 2015. So um, my ex and I moved here. So we we were just looking for for different places to 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 move to because we were in New York. I mean, I felt like New York was a bit condensed, you know, added pressure on on top of everything. So I was really looking to to do something else. And funny enough, you know, H and M reached out to my ex and. Oh, yeah. um, she came here in November 2014 and we moved to Stockholm uh, January uh, 2015. People asked me if I'd ever uh, visited Stockholm before and I was like, no, never. And I just... No experience. No experience whatsoever. And I just started a job working for Dior at the time. And it was a, I was a month in and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to take my chances. And I think it was the best decision I've ever made. How come? I think it's, you know, I was in a place where I needed to stop, figure out what I wanted to do. Because in New York or in the States, you're just going, you know, you're constantly going and you don't have the time or the space to really step back and, and figure out which direction you want to go. And, you know, Stockholm gave me the opportunity to really, um, figure that part out. Um, really helped me to really deep do a deep dive within myself emotionally, physically, and psychologically, just to just to do that. And I think it was like the best thing. And even when I landed, the first day I landed, and the the taxi took us to our apartment, and we we walked to the the grocery store. Oh, yeah. I looked around and I said, "Oh, this is it." And I don't think I don't feel any other way um, since then. I still feel that way. This is this is the place. I wanted to ask you if you believe it's the city itself, New York versus Stockholm, like the environment, 
or it's if it's uh, getting away from your peers and, and getting into new environments and having to make new friends and having the possibility to set new habits or maybe a combination? I think it's a combination, but I think importantly, I think it's being in a new place yeah. and setting new, um, new habits, meeting new people, because it gets me out of that bubble of um, wanting to, to do things. Because I mean, just to just expectations maybe exactly because you know when you have friends um and you're you guys are like in the same world and doing the same things um you guys are always striving to be to be the best and yes you know i i have friends that you know i've worked in retail for a very long time and all my friends are really you know climbing the ladder and they are different in in they're good at different things you know a friend that's good at talk he can talk his way out of anything uh, another friend is just really good at just being who he is, uh, doing his job and just being a genuine person myself. You know, at that time I was, I was a shy person, you know, I was still outgoing, but still reserved, uh, in, in that aspect. Um, so I had to step away and figure out who am I outside of, uh, that world. And I think being here has given me the opportunity to, to do that. And I think, again, it's kind of like the best thing ever. Uh, you know, I, I really came back to the thing that I really love, which is uh, poetry and spoken word. You know, the, the art form of it, the way of writing, the way of delivering. And I think the way of just really touching and uh, inspiring people uh, to think differently and to just have a conversation about things that we don't normally have conversations about. And I think that's what I really love about it. That's a great insight to come to. And uh, you've stayed in Stockholm now for five years. How long did you stay in Brooklyn? Um, let's see. I mean, I'm originally from, from Jamaica. So yes. I moved to the States in 1994. I moved there when I was about... Uh, 12, 13. So you had all your teens and, and younger adult years. How was the experience growing up there? It's, you know, it's different because, I mean, most people would think that, you know, I would have fun at that age. But, you know, at 12, 13, moving from a small island to a big city, you don't, you don't know how to maneuver into making friends. And it was, it was a bit challenging, to, to, to be honest. Um, in middle school, you know, kids made fun of me because I had an accent. <laughs> oh yes. Yes. You know, and it's, it's like one of the worst things, you know, kids are mean at that age. So it's kind of like, I kind of like regressed a little bit in my shell and couldn't make friends. Uh, and when I went to high school, uh, you know, that, that was even, even more trying because you're trying to be this cool person, but don't have the means to do it or the personality to do so. So, you know, people still make fun of you. And by the time, you know, I was leaving high school, everyone's like, Oh, Crone, who's this guy? He's a fun guy. And I think by the time I was in college, I was writing. I was, you know, I was working at Apple, um, at, in the stock room, in the basement. And I really decided at around, just to fast forward a little bit, around like 2008, I wanted to not be this guy in his head in a shell 
Uh, I wanted to be more outgoing. I wanted to test myself more. I wanted to to learn more about music rather than just hip hop. I wanted to just expand a little bit more. And that's when I made the decision. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to push it. And I pushed myself to being the person who I am today. And, and you know, it's it's been, again, like that that challenge has always been amazing. It sounds like you've uh, really, it's been a journey of exploring yourself and finding yourself and finding your place in this world. I can relate a lot to coming from a different background, trying to adapt to a new culture and the layers that come with that. And this uh, piece that you, that we heard in the beginning of this episode is called pain inheritance. So that's speaking a lot about these layers, the racism, the heritage, the different cultures, uh, different nations acting in different ways, mainly based on history and culture. So would you elaborate some on that? Like your heritage from Jamaica, you, you actually stayed there until you were 12. So you have a lot from there. Jamaica was, uh, it was an amazing place. You know, as a kid, you don't really, you only see the things that that's been shown to you. Like, you know, you, you go to school, you enjoy, you got to do the work that you're doing. You have fun with your friends and you come home um, and, you know, you do what you have to do. You do what your, your mom told, tells you to do. You do what, you know, the people around you are doing and you're just having fun. But then in retrospect, when you look back at it, you know, I realized that, you know, I sort of lived in a semi-third world country. You know, I only had one pair of shoes um, and that was, you know, just going to school. And, you know, sometimes I have to like borrow a pair of shoes from someone else just to go to church. You know, uh, you didn't realize how much my mom was a, a single parent. So she was doing everything by herself. And I think at that point, before, you know, the means of having a credit card, she was taking things out on credit from the the local grocery store because she was, you know, good friends with the, with the owner. So it was kind of like, you know, you go to the store and say, you know, I want to, my mom asked me to, to borrow a, a packet of rice uh, on credit and then, you know, tomorrow she'll, she'll pay you back. So in retrospect, you have that, that thing with you you see the hardship, you see what your mom have to do. And then when I moved to the States um, and moving to the States, I, my mom didn't move with me uh, initially. So it's, it's three kids. So it's me, my brother and my sister. I, I didn't mention that before. And then my, my dad was out of the, the picture for a very long time, or he was just in and out. And then one day he just popped up and said, Hey, uh, your grandmother, um, like filed papers for, for me to come to the States. I want to bring you guys as well. And since my mom wasn't together with my dad, she had to stay behind for about five years. So having the leader of your pack, not being there with you in a new world, a new transitioning world, it's, you know, it's kind of hard, you know, that's the, that's the person that kind of helps you through through the things that you need help with. And once she's not there, it's, it's difficult. So you now, you now have to figure things out by yourself, even though you're with family and, you know, families, it's kind of like a trying thing as well. You know, you, you don't really realize that all oh, this is family, this is flesh and blood. They will help you. But in, in, in retrospect, they're also people. So, you know, it's all about self-preservation at a certain point. So those are the things, those are the layers that you talked about that, that are, impacting my my day-to-day and you're making decisions based on the things that you've 
experience, not where you're you're trying to go. And that's what wasn't taught to neither me nor my siblings. It's kind of like you have to look in front rather than look behind you because that doesn't dictate how you're going to go. And, you know, it was a hard lesson learned and uh, we're still trying to figure that point out. A huge part, maybe in this case, of the journey is actually getting rid of the layers and then being able to build, like you're talking about. It's actually getting rid of a lot of maybe limiting beliefs that you've grown up with based on the circumstances that one's parents or a previous generations has gone through. Absolutely. So just getting to ground zero is a journey itself. I mean, it's it's amazing because... Uh, I'm I'm actually working on another. Uh, I'm actually working on a show that I was planned for for this September, but which will be you know uh, rescheduled, and it's called Family. So so what that is is trying to find the layers and understanding who the people are within your family and kind of like peel away all of those uh, hurt, the pain that's been traveling through the family at some point to reach to you. And how can you break those uh, those chains and really move forward without them hindering you and help your family members do the same thing? And I think, you know, you know, my 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 dad went through issues. My mom went through issues. Myself, my brother and my sister went through issues. My sister and my brother now have kids. So they have to now how do they then unbreak those chains for my nephews and nieces? And I think it's, you know, it's. It's just, like you said, it's just layers of, of these things that you just have to peel away, layers of pain that you have to fix and or just embrace it and say, okay, this is what it is. I just have to look at it, talk to it and say, you are what you are. I am what I am. And you stay there. I'm going to be here, but I want to move forward. But the pain can stay here. I understand that you're here. I just have to move forward and deal with myself. And the, the biggest thing that I've learned um, listening to other like people speak is to move in an offensive way rather than defensive way. And that has been a big eye opener for me. That's a really good um, way to see it, a tool to move forward. Yeah. And uh, like you're speaking here about listening to other people and just listening to you and having this conversation with you. We're really in a greater position today, I believe, to get more information and gain more experience of, oh, there are people over here that has gone through a similar journey. We're in the same struggle or a similar struggle together. And these are different tactics that work for different people. But at, at the end of the day, we're trying to reach progress. Yeah. This is a question that I haven't fully wrapped my head around, so I'm really Glad I can have the conversation with you and just explore it further. Speaking about information being spread and relevant situations that are happening right now. Yeah. There's this recent case, I think it's just yesterday or the day before yesterday of another police murder in America yeah. of a black man. A few weeks ago, we had the shooting. Yeah. And there's a lot of conversation about blunt racism within the police force, mm -hmm. discrimination and racism within the police force. Every time I see this, like I said, I'm born and raised here in Stockholm, Sweden. Yeah. I have my heritage from Africa, but every time I keep seeing this, you take it to heart. 
and you start thinking like, like initially there's a fear, like, wow, I'm a young black man. Yeah. Could this happened to me. But then you sort of remember, okay, I'm in, in Stockholm, Sweden. Yes, we do have racism here, but it looks different over here. But there's still that. And I think we see it globally now as a diaspora community are uh, connecting more as uh, we're, we're more connected, basically. We're sharing these experiences. Exactly. And you've actually experienced that live and directly and now you're in Stockholm. What are your thoughts on the development? Are we making progress? I mean, yes, we're making progress in, and, and this is just my own, um, you know, idea and, and thought process of, of everything. You know, I believe we're, we're making progress, but I don't think we're, we've come very far. I think the idea that most people would say, well, you know, look at the, look at Oprah Winfrey, look at Jay-Z, look at all of these, you know, black millionaires, but there's still that underlying racism. There's still, there's still racism in every single circle that you go in, no matter where you are, you, you're still going to feel it and you, it's still going to happen. So my thought process of, of, of this is kind of like, why why, why isn't everyone seeing this? Why isn't everyone understanding it's not just an individual instance? It's not, it's not an case action that's happening to one people. It's, or it's not just a random person mm. or an animal. These are, these are people, these are feelings. You know, we take ourselves out of the mixes. And I think we've had this conversation before. It's kind of, if you're a rich person and you don't take the trains anymore, you don't know what's happening in that world. It's, yes. You know, you're on, you have a driver or you have a, you know, a, a private jet. You don't know what's happening in that world anymore. So you're, you're, you remove yourself from what's happening in the day to day. And I think it's, it's necessary for people to put their, themselves in that shoes, it's necessary for people to have empathy and that yes. empathy is completely removed from our day to day. Empathy is just like, no, I'm just going to focus on me. I'm just going to focus on what I want, have to do. And, and uh, sorry, and just, cause I have so many like thought process about it. Yeah. I just had one thing on what you said, like the empathy, I think is the most important, but even what could happen is going the opposite way. Mm -hmm. Like you're not experiencing that other side and what we don't know most of the times we fear. Exactly. So you're creating a mental fear around this um, other side that you're not familiar or exposed to. You're not gaining that perspective. No. And I think most of the time when you gain that perspective, I think you, people do things to make themselves not end up in the position that uh, black people are in, and especially in the States. It's kind of like, you know what's happening, you just don't put yourself there. And you're like, well, I'm good. Um, you just have to, you know, don't go there as well. Just just don't mm. do the things that make the other person got killed. I'm like, well, most people can't because they live in a, a poor neighborhood they can't afford anything. So most people have to resort to, to crime or selling illegal stuff just to get money uh, or 
you know, people just have to do what they need to do in order to survive and to put food on the table for their kids and for themselves. And I think, you know, most people don't just most people don't understand that. It's like, but why, why would that person do that? It's like, do you see where this person lived? But why can't they get a job? Yes. And is that, does that person deserve being punished by the ultimate punishment, ultimately death? Or is the a solution treatment or help and support? Exactly. And I feel that America is kind of a place where people, The empathy is not there because everyone is fight is running the race of surviving. Mm. We're all in this together, like everyone keeps saying. But it's the distraction is, but you have to survive. You have to make your food. You have to make money so you can put food on the table. You have to do this. You have to do that. Rather than oh, we're we're actually a community. We're actually living in this country together. Why don't we make it better? Uh, and then you have people at the top are really, really manipulating everyone into this divide. So the divide is constantly going to happen because the people who are at the top benefits from the, then the divide. And again, that's just my, my own thought process of, of why, why this keeps continuing and, and it will continue until something definitely changes the course of it. Yeah, I think we're uh, both um, still evolving our thoughts and opinions around this. And I think conversation is maybe the best way to do that. Actually uh, putting your current thoughts to pressure and evolving them as well. Just from the outside, um, I do consume a lot of information around American politics. And just the way the incentives are geared towards not becoming better, improving And I don't see how you can get out of that without fundamentally changing the incentives. Exactly. I mean, the, the system has to be changed, but the, the system has been soaking in, you know, 400 years or more of this, of this thing that no one's willing to change because when you, when you question it, everyone's like, oh, but that's just, you know, what we've, What we've what we've done for for a very long time. So why change it? That's all we know, and no one is willing to to change it because it's hard work to change to change it. It's hard work to 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 start the process, and really, no one really wants to do that. And especially if you're making money from having the system being the way it is, then obviously you're not incentivized to do it. And this is, like we said, it's a, a hard conversation to have, but it's an important conversation to have. And I'm very thankful that you took your time to, here to both share your art and work and elaborate more on your thoughts and maybe where it's coming from. Thank you very much. I mean, it's 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 just necessary to do so. I mean, I mean, I've um, for the poem that you heard earlier. I mean, I've thought about writing that poem for quite some time and it was more of how can i write this without sounding too preachy sounding too you know too militant sounding you know like you know as quote unquote that people always say in the state the the angry black man and more getting to the root of uh, the emotional aspect of it because at the end of the day everyone's being affected by it emotionally and psychologically so If we change that, then we can see a process in the breaking down of, you know, the, the, 
the militant side of things, the, the breaking down of, I have to be hard and strong. I have to, you know, I have to do this to survive. And it's kind of, how can we, as a group of people support each other, not just black people, but everyone from all, from the different cultures, from the different backgrounds, different countries, different races, how can we all support each other? Because we're, we're going through the same thing just in a different way. Less maybe fighting for our cause, fighting for our life and striving in life together. Exactly. Because that's the only, I mean, it's just teamwork. I mean, it's hard. Teamwork is definitely hard because everyone has their different uh, inputs. Everyone has a different thought process. Everyone works differently. But at the end of the day, you know, we we all are in it together and we have to figure out a common ground and, and finding how to, to go there. Definitely. I think our different inputs and our different thoughts and ideas is a really huge benefit if we're able to communicate, like having a, a diverse um, set of perspectives. Yeah, I'm sure that's one of the, the big point of, of starting the change that could happen. And we can see people being less defensive and, and less, less angry uh, about what's happening because it, it, this can't continue. I mean, it, it's, it's going in a way where just things are just going to erupt. You know, we we're come to a point where think, think about it like that. I mean, if you, like I said, if you look at social media, look around the world, it's all black culture. That's no matter who is doing what from any TikTok challenge, it's all black culture. Are dominating. And people people have said, if you're going to consume it, you have to represent us. And I don't think you, it needs to be that black and white, but it has to be in a sense where if we need to go on and to continue on the same culture of music, the same culture of art, the same culture of movies and just enjoying ourselves, then we need to be a part of this together. You, There's not one way you can just consume something and just say, I'm consuming this. I don't, I'm, I'm going to stay here. It's just a matter of, okay, this is, this is part of my life. I enjoy this. I don't want to see this go away. How can I make this? How can I help in the situation? How can I mm. bring my voice to, to a, an action and, and help out? And it doesn't have to be like, I'm just going to go to my representative. I have to go to this person and that person. It's just being vocal. It's, it's showing up and, and being there and, and being available for everyone else that's, that's a part of the culture as well. That's really so true. And I, I believe your art can be a gateway into the experience, understanding and experiencing the emotions behind the experiences. And and that's that's exactly what I'm set out to to do. It's it's more of how can you look at yourself and look at others and also just question where we're heading. You know, my the way I start any poem is kind of how how deep can I get within the emotions of the the topic that I'm writing? Because, you know, one of the things that people always say is you know, the two things that is always constant is death and taxes, <laughs> which is true, but most people can avoid paying taxes. Um, but the one thing that I see is constant is, is pain. And 
if we can remove that or at least uh, soften the pain and get everyone to understand each other's point of view, then, you know, we would reach a point where everyone will be just, okay, so you're going through this and you're going through that. It's the same thing. How can we help heal each other? And that's, and that's the process of, uh, of my poetry uh, and the way that I perform is to get to a point where we can all heal. Uh, because if you notice, like I said in, in the beginning, if you notice the pain and you can embrace it and try to have that conversation with it and say, I know you're here, but I need to be better for me. You're, I can remember you. You're still there. I mean, and enables is still kind of like a compass. Uh, you, you use it for for the good and not for the tearing down of other people. It it, it brings new light and and fresh air to to a situation. So it's all about figuring out what that pain is and how to disarm it because pain leads to pain, no matter where you you throw it and it without aim it destroys everyone else around you. So, I mean, it's so, so, so important just to deal with that. That's very well said and a great way to end this episode. I'm actually thinking I will replay your piece again and give people a chance to hear and feel it one more time. Awesome. I mean, uh, this this is amazing. Thank you for for having me on. Uh, I mean, just giving me the the platform just to just to share my thoughts and to just to share my, my poetry. I mean, thank you. You definitely deserve it. And I hope uh, we find more platforms in Stockholm, uh, physical locations uh, where we can absolutely. get more of this. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yes. <laughs> thank you very much, Karon. Thanks, Innocent. I appreciate it. This was completely not hard for me. I had to squeeze, breathe life into this issue, then unleash my anger and rage, my starved emotions that's been caged, my sadness and being broken hearted that started with the color of my face, because it's hard sometimes loving yourself when living in a world that hates you and still tries to break you. And it's simply dismissive to say a person shouldn't exist on the basis of the color of their skin. And the sickest thing is that we've built a system to blame the victims. See, racism still lives within almost everything. Skilled with the task to keep me second class. So how could you not believe in the inheritance of pain? And it's clear the existence of this stain still lived through till this day. How could you still think this is not about race? Wishing to exist within the bliss of your own ignorance which is no different from embracing the true status, the truth of maybe being a racist. But no one's ever a racist until they're faced with it, until they see those other faces in the same neighborhoods that they remain within. And it's amazing. If our lives never merge, how hard you would work to avert your eyes from my hurt. So let's pretend How about I enslave your ancestors, those distant family members, cage them in the bottom of my ship in dark, crammed spaces, and for the ones that have made it, break their souls, leaving no hopes, no goals to chase even if they escape my control, then change them, 
separate them from us, then call it segregation. Then the generations later, kids, 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 which is you telling me to get over it. Can't dismiss my purpose to say this is the most hurtful shit any person could ever utter from their lips. This is one hell of a topic. To utilize the mind to destroy human lives for profits. To dehumanize without logic. Can you imagine the consciousness of being a slave? To be brave when getting a beating from whips while locked in chains? Or the shame of seeing your loved ones dealing with the ordeal of being raped? But you can't do anything. You have to behave. So look closer. Can't you see the exposure of the pain that's left over from my colored contrast generations of the past that have suffered? Can't you see it? Our hurt that's transferable. See, we claim to be strong, but the weight of this pain has been pulling us down for way too long, drowning in the untamed ways of our emotions. Can't you feel it? Our hurt bursting out of our beings that live beneath our surface. So many we have in surplus that haven't ceased disturbing us. See, I'm squeezing to extract that you lacked of seeing. And we don't need to seek your acceptance to believe. We're outstanding human beings. So being black, we're just unpacking these feelings. The photosynthesis of what we've been breathing in since this racism shit's beginning. Why can't you see the misery we've received and understand the stress of racism's effect? Because I'm still reliving the simple level of this pebble ripple effect.